my form buddies know me now. I know I just sold my Porsche 996 on BAT and uh, I'm already missing it. It, it, it left uh, this past Saturday. And I really enjoyed the car, but the car was great because, you know, you had your hands on it and had a lot of stuff done that should, I think every Porsche 996 owner should do to their cars. But I find it fascinating, Jake, that, and there was just, and I'll just say this, there's a guy that a lot of people on the forums like to watch is Hoovy's Garage. You may have heard of him in the Apollo 996, Apollo 911, excuse me, is what he called it. And uh, he just bought another 996. And uh, he took it to the Porsche dealership for a post-purchase uh, inspection. And it was but why, why do you do that? Why, why do you do a post-purchase inspection? Well, that's a good question. It, I, I mean, I, that makes no sense to me. Exactly. Do a good pre-purchase inspection to make sure you're not going to get ripped off. And then you don't have to do a post-purchase inspection. So I had somebody call me one time and say, hey, uh, I want to bring my car for a post-purchase inspection. I said, no, let's just wait till it blows up. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well. And I think uh, in his particular case, well, you have to know this guy's history. He's, you know, into buying cars from Copart and, um, you know, you know, I bought the cheapest Lamborghini, you know, on the internet kind of thing. And then he, yeah, he all these it, episodes yeah. on trying to resurrect it. But um, what I picked out on that video was that he took it to the Porsche dealership and you would expect, again, you would expect that they would do a thorough job. But most of the stuff that they touched on, Jake, was not internal. And I see, as far as the engine, so like scoping the cylinders, for example, mm -hmm. they didn't do that. Um, nowhere in the, the sheet was anything discussion about the IMS bearing condition. So I've seen this over and over and over, and it seems like a lot of people go to look at these cars, but they're looking at all the wrong things. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, I mean, so they're let's looking talk about at it like a guy, normal car. Right? They're not even well, let's, considering let's... the the bore scoring issue and and the IMS bearing issue and the intermix issue and and all these different things. They're thinking about oh, the paint looks good. It was never been in an accident. The leather's great. I don't hear any noises. It should be fine. But they don't go any further than that a lot of times. Well, a good example. Okay, so it's never been in an accident. Okay, but they look at the Carfax. And they try to determine that it's never been in an accident because of the Carfax report. I don't believe that because there's a lot of things that can happen to a car that never end up on Carfax, okay? Let's say two people get in a crash and it's not very bad, and both of them are like, hey, you know, let's just deal with this ourselves, okay? And there's nothing on Carfax. You can still find it if you start looking at paint thickness and body filler and stuff like that, you know, or somebody crashes a car at the track. That's not going to go show up on Carfax because they're not going to turn it into their insurance. It's probably going to end up going to a body shop to have it fixed. So that's always your Google researcher. He's going to sit there and think he knows the whole history of that car by the Carfax. No, don't, don't look at it that way. That's very superficial, right? You still look at that car like it has been crashed. You look at that car like it is something that you have to – 
find the problem with. You look at it like it has a problem. You just have to find it. So a good example is this, this Hoovy guy. I don't watch his stuff on YouTube or whatever. I don't care. Um, I guess he's a pretty cool guy. I see people talking about him all the time. But a good example of this whole thing is taking the car to the dealership. Okay, They have a set of directives that's been handed down from the fatherland, and it it's verbatim. This is what it does. If you're a Porsche technician at the dealership, this is what you do. And you look at these things, and this is what makes it a certified car or makes it whatever it's supposed to be. But I've had those cars come to me within a week of the time that they had one of those inspections done. And with a $40 bore scope that we used in the, you know, in the bore scoring video series, I find bore scoring. This Hoovy guy might be able to spend 40 bucks right now, pull the sump plate off his engine, pull six spark plugs out of it, and find out he's got bore scoring. There's a, po a, a great possibility that it could happen right now. And they just didn't look at it. You know, they didn't sit there and <clears throat> do a snapshot of it. They didn't even look at it. Because it's all unicorns and rainbows, okay? Most of those pre-purchase inspections or post-purchase inspections are about other things. You know, what's the alignment like? You know, what's the brake condition like? You know, has it been in a crash, which is a big thing? Um, you know, does all the lights work? Um, you know, does the sunroof work? I mean, you know, does everything on the car work? That's what they're focused on. But the thing is, that's fine. Because what they're focused on is not what I'm focused on. I'm focused on just that engine. I don't give a damn about the rest of the car. I don't care anything about it. Okay? If the ignition switch is good and it starts, and the ECU's got communication with the, with the, with the modules on the engine and, and, and all that sort of thing, I'm good. That's all I care about with a car. Because the engine is my thing. That's the only thing. I'm not worried about – I don't care about the gearbox. I don't worry about the clutch even. Now, if I build an engine, I replace the clutch. It's, it's a verbatim, we're going to do it type thing. But, you know, if you look at these cars, there's really two perspectives. You have the engine that you're concerned with, and then you have the car that you're concerned with. That's it. It's like there's two separate things, engine and everything else. So my focus is always on all that. Like, I, if somebody brought me a car for a PPI, before I did anything about that car itself, before I even checked the tread wear on the tires or the alignment or anything, I would bore scope the cylinders first off. And I'm going to bore scope the cylinders first off because if I'm charging this guy like 800 bucks for a PPI, which is what I used to do, I stopped doing them, right? Because I was downing almost every car for a long time and I was just breaking people's hearts. I got tired of it. You know, guy brings me a car. I charge him $800 to do a bore scope or $800 to do a PPI. Well, I go in and do the bore scope of the cylinders first. A lot of times I down that car then. I didn't even finish the rest of it. A lot of shops would be like, yeah, well, you know, it's already got a problem, but we're going to keep on doing these other things to collect their 800 bucks. I ain't got time for that crap. I got a year backlog. I don't, I don't care about that. If it's a if it's downed, I want to impress this guy by saying, sir, you know, I'm saving you money here, really. I'm saving me time that I could put into an engine that already has failed. But here's pictures and video and debris from the oil filter or whatever. You have conclusive bore scoring on whatever cylinders. And sometimes I didn't even get past cylinder six. 
a lot of shops that start at cylinder one and go in chronological order. Well, cylinder six is the one that is most probable, right? And it doesn't mean you're always going to have it there, but there's a good possibility you can go to cylinder six, and if you're going to have more scoring on that engine, it's going to be on cylinder six. Sometimes I pull the spark plug out of number six. Stick a bore scope in there. Boom, it's down. Sir, this car's a pile of crap. Bring me 50 bucks and take it back to the dealership. You know how many times I've done that? I can down it that damn quick. I don't sit there and keep on going through the motions and collect 800 bucks from the dude. That's what I would do if I needed extra work or if I did what every other shop does or what a lot of other people could do. And I could do it. But why waste the guy's money when the car's down anyway, right? And, and all you're doing is telling the dealer more and more about what's wrong with it. Yeah. Right? Because he's going to take yeah. that report back. No, forget that. I don't want to give them all that other ammunition about all the other stuff. It's got bore scoring. It's down. Okay? So I see this happen all the time. But this Hoovy guy could probably take a bore scope, and for 40 bucks on Amazon, he could buy the same one we use in the video series, and he could prove if he does or does not have bore scoring. Uh, and, and it would be laughable if he was able to do that. Well, I think what happened in uh, his case is that he chose to bid on an auction. I don't know what auction he was dealing with. So, you know, he did it remotely and it didn't have any kind of inspection done on the car. I'm assuming um, the the auction was either, I, I believe the auction was way off where he lived. So he couldn't go do an inspection yeah. of any kind. And you know how it is with dealing with some well, auction houses. They may not allow you to do invasive looking They're at not. the car, you know. That's that's the problem. Even like when I sold the tank on bring a trailer, I had people calling, hey, I want to come look at it. Yeah, come look at it, but we're socially distanced right now. Let me shoot you some videos. Um but you know, it's one of those kind of things when you buy at an auction, most of the time you're not gonna be able to go do the same things that you can at a private party sale, one-to-one, -one, yeah. or whatever. But, you know, BAT, bring a trailer, really is a private party sale. People don't realize that. BAT ends up being your broker. You know, they take the buyer's premium from the buyer, and then they take $99 from the seller, and they create the ad, and they market it. And when everything's done, they connect you with the buyer and the seller. They're connected. And then it's a deal between the two of you, which I, I like that. But the problem is the auction format takes away some of the ability to do a pre-purchase inspection. Oh, yeah. That's why, like with your car, you know, we had already done the pre-qualifications pre and all that sort of thing when you paid me to do the work on your car back in 2018 before we ever started working together yeah. on video stuff. But, you know… That actually acted as a pre-purchase inspection for your car in the advertisement. I seriously think that people want to sell a car or bring a trailer. Um, they should do go ahead and pay a shop to do that pre-purchase inspection and do it invasively because they should also want to prove they're selling a quality car, right? Yeah. I mean that that's a problem, and and, and a lot of these discerning purchasers are going to scream that they've been raped yeah. or victimized or oh, whatever. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to sell one of these cars or bring a trailer, go spend a couple three hundred bucks, check the cam deviations, pull a used oil sample, send it to Speed Diagnostics, get that data back from them, um, 
do a an invasive bore scope of the cylinders and through the sump. Don't do just one of those. Do both of them. And that is going to represent that car in a very good manner. Just those three or four things makes the difference between your car and the other four or five 911s or 997, 996, whatever, that is going to be on bring a trailer at the same time. Now, I've got a 996 Coupe, sorry, 996 Cabriolet that I bought with a broken engine, and that car is for sale. It's got a four liter in it now. And then I had a customer give up on a 9971, and I ended up taking the car for what he owed me, and it was a pretty, pretty good deal for everybody. Um, so I've got a Tiptronic 9971 to sell that has a four liter engine in it, and the guy just couldn't afford to pay me. That's the second time that's happened in the last 30 years. It just doesn't happen. Um, you know, but those cars, I mean, I have a hard time being able to sell them uh, because I have to make sure the purchaser is perfect. I qualify those purchasers to the nth degree, and you'll never see me advertise one of those things. I don't advertise it. I have to wait for the right person to come up, sometimes as a family member, a close friend, whatever, and I'll sell them a really good car. Um, a good example of that is a guy that I'd like to get on here at some point. Um, he bought an engine from me back, back in 2008 um, for his 996 track car, and it was just a DE car at the time. It kept breaking crankshafts, so I get a hold of it. I know what's wrong with it. You know, I replaced the lightweight flywheel that's been running, put a regular dual mass on it, build it to a four liter, you know, make 400 horsepower back in 2008. You know, it's a great, powerful engine. Um, he races it for four or five years, turns it into a full-blown race car. Uh, AOS fails. It blows up. Even after I told him it was going to fail because the use oil analysis kept getting worse and worse, and I said, hey, man, you need to stop driving this thing. Um, he ends up being very happy, wants me to build it again. I build it again. Now, it's been another four or five years down the road, and he decides he wants to stop racing. He wants to sell his 356. He wants to sell the race car, and he wants to buy a 996. And he ended up buying one that I put together because the guy's car was broken. Um, so that does happen sometimes, not very often, not very often at all. And I typically work with Stonegate Auto Sales on those deals. Um, that's a, a company here that's in our local city, uh, Cleveland, Georgia, where, you know, they, they actually sell the cars on bring a trailer or whatever. So I'm not a dealer. I don't sell cars. But, you know, that's a couple of things that are available. And that's a good example of what you can do if you research things the right way. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, you've got to look at the car like it has a problem. And I see this all too often with the guys that call up and say, you know, I always wanted a 911. It was my dream car. And then they jump into the first one they can find. It's the right color, the right carpet, the right this, the right that, the right headlights, the right everything, but it has the wrong engine. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, right. then they're broken. They are broken. Yeah. I've yeah. had these dudes call me, and they were crying. I had one yeah. pass out on the phone, dude. I had a guy pass out on the phone. Yeah, because he, he just dumped he all the money. He couldn't believe it. Yeah. That's right. He, he, he saved all this money, and I feel so sorry for these wife people. Probably, they, wife is probably going to kill him. Dude, they saved for years. <laughs> they saved for years. And then they turn around, and they buy the car. They feel like, you know, I'm going to save up a lot of money and buy this car so I don't feel bad about buying it, and I don't have a payment. They spend all of their liquid cash. Their liquidity is gone. They bought the wrong car. They didn't qualify it. They didn't do a, a, a good a good PPI. 
they bought the car because it had the right floor mats, right? Three weeks later, it's got bore scoring. But guess what? That freaking car did ha it didn't have bore scoring just three weeks ago. That car had bore scoring when the prior owner had it. Their mechanic found it, probably because he came to one of my classes. I've trained 1,400 people worldwide about this, hands-on. He came to a class. He might have learned about this. He tells a customer on the phone, hey, dude, man, this car's got bore scoring. you got to get rid of this thing. Click. The guy comes and pays the bill. He takes the car away, makes sure there's no Carfax thing entered about anything about the car being there, and he puts it on Craigslist. He puts it on eBay. That car's freaking gone, right? And the new guy gets it three weeks down the road. Well, I got this ticking sound. I got a, it's a lifter hanging, right? That tick, 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 tick. That's a lifter hanging. Well, then he finds the bore scoring video series, which tells him exactly everything that he has experienced verbatim to the T. And at that point in time, that dude's done. He, he can't sleep anymore. His wife's getting pissed off at him. It's, it's, it's life is it's hell on earth because he bought the wrong car. But in, in a way, he asked for it because he did not have a PPI. And of all these people that call me that have these problems early on, they either had no PPI at all or they had one done at a dealership or they had one done at the mechanic of the dealer they bought the car from, which is the worst thing you can do. Don't go to their mechanic. Find your own. Okay, uh, a, a guy that was really smart did something with me. I sold a Mercedes G wagon, okay, an old one, a military one, a real G wagon, okay, and I sold it to a guy in Canada a couple of years ago. And I told him, look, I want you to have a PPI done on this thing. And he goes, well, can't you do it? I said, no. If I'm selling you a car, I require that you have a third party do the PPI, and don't tell them that I'm selling you the car. Because that's going to do one or two things. Either that shop is going to love me, and they're going to say there's nothing wrong with the car because they don't want to blow the deal up for me. Or that shop hates me because I'm a competitor that shreds them and sucks all the lifeblood out of their business, and they hate me for that. So if he tells the shop who's selling the car, there's, there's a good possibility that the car is either going to have problems it never had or the problems it does have were covered up. So I said, look, don't send this car to anybody near me. Let's send it to Atlanta. Let's put it on a tow truck, send it to Atlanta, and, and have somebody 50 miles, 80 miles away you know, look at it. He did that. He got the car, and he was very happy, and the PPI turned out perfectly. So don't ever use a dealer's shop to do that. Don't, don't even let them recommend anybody because they're going to recommend who is going to have leverage for them, right? You get on the horn, you find a shop that can do the PPI, you pay 100 bucks or whatever it takes to get the car moved there, and you have that third-party PPI done. And you know, make them do an oil sample too. You, no. Speed diagnostics and turn the oil sample around in three or four days. Well, it's, so do it's, that. Jake, it's a, again, I'm, I, I, I don't, like I said, I don't, I don't comment on every thread, but I, I enjoy reading these threads where I just bought a, Porsche 911 or 996 and now it's turned into a nightmare and you know a lot of times they will have the the PPI they take it they've gone to a shop they did a PPI but they did not you know exactly. remove the spark plugs look at the cylinder bores they um the last guy that got me 
was he had intermix and didn't even know it. Got home yeah. and then started having problems with Well, it. that's because uh, the shop drained it. It probably had, it was probably a 2000 or an 01. It had Y2K syndrome, okay? You can flush the cooling system. You can, you know, put some fresh coolant in it and it won't show intermix for a while. Or these guys have learned they can take a turkey baster and go in the in the, the coolant reservoir and they can suck the intermix out of it. Okay, but ultimately, until the coolant level gets low enough to turn the light on on the dash, that, that slow, steady blink, you don't even know to go check it. Okay, so you know, pull that, pull the top off the off the coolant tank, and look for intermix. Okay, yeah. I, this is this is pe people aren't even doing that. I mean that. Even a female that doesn't know anything about cars can do that. Can look at the coolant, the clarity. But but it, it, it reminds me a lot of these buyers that have been. Well, I, I don't know if you remember forever. this, Jake. When you took my car in before you uh, you swapped out my expansion tank, someone had changed the coolant in my car. Yep. And that scared me. I, I think I, I really. It was green, right? Yeah. It was green. Yeah. And yeah, you caught exactly. that. And I'm like, somebody's been here. So these are the puzzle pieces that you can put together. Dude, you do this for 30 years, and you learn everything that every con artist, car salesman can can do. And I can sniff those things out. You know, it's me and other people like me can sniff those things out. We've seen it over and over again. It's not our first rodeo. Um, but again, a lot of these buyers, they are love-struck teenagers, Okay. It's like you're going on your first date. You got your 911 now, right? And that's why they're so brokenhearted, dude. It's bad. The guy passed out on the phone. He was like 62 or three. Yeah. He had wanted a 911 forever. He yeah. had just been able to retire. It broke a timing chain two weeks later, and it wiped out one whole side of the engine. I called and told him the bad news, and all of a sudden I hear this click. Like what was that? <laughs> oh, and then and then I hear his wife scream in the background. Oh no! So I think his name was like Harry or Harold. Harold, oh. are you okay? Are you okay? I posted about this on Facebook when it happened, and she she's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, she's calling nine one one. I'm still on the yeah. phone. That right? say. She slams yeah. the phone down, and you know I felt kind of bad. The guy called me. I didn't think to go back and get caller ID and get his phone number and call back and see if he was ever okay, if he was okay. But he never called back. I, I never got a phone call about it or anything like that. Hey, but I literally me. had somebody fall out on the freaking phone uh, because I had they bought a car. Same uh, same situation, not related to Porsches. But I had a, a friend of, uh, when I was at, uh, from my church who was decided to build his own house. He made a very bad pro, uh, mistake by not insuring it while it was being built. And it was near finish. And that thing burned down. And he didn't have insurance. He had a heart attack, almost died over it. And uh, so not only did he lose his home, but now he's in the hospital. And if he didn't have builder's insurance, he probably didn't have health insurance. Because yeah. he thinks, well, I'll be fine. I'll till you know, when it's my time, it's my time. But, yeah. you know, what can you say? You know, everybody knows I've built two houses. Hey, I know. When you're going through the building stages, you better buy builder's insurance. There's no guarantee. I mean, yeah. you can, I mean, something can happen. And uh, exactly what happened. I and mean, he just went, boop. 
they just devastated over that loss because he couldn't figure out how he was going to bounce back from that loss. And it just, yeah. So see, I, that's I can what see happens that. with these with these buyers. See, again, if they spend all of their liquidity, all their cash in hand on the car, now they have the car that has then created a liability and they don't have the cash in hand to fix it. So now they are stuck and they can't get a loan to fix the car in a lot of cases. And I even know people who have sold their car to another family member and then bought it back with a loan. Okay, think about how you can do this. Let's say you pay eighteen. <laughs> let's say you pay eighteen thousand dollars for a car, and you sell that car to a dealer or you sell it to somebody. It's out of your name. Now you're going to lose some money in taxes, transfer and titles and crap like this, but it might make the difference in saving the car and getting the car you've dreamed about. Okay, um, you sell the car to them. They transfer the title into their name. Now you go to your bank and say, look, I want to buy a 911, and I found the one that I want. And they say, oh, you're pre-qualified for 20000 bucks." Now you weren't pre-qualified for $20,000 to repair the engine that was in your car before, but now you can buy a car, and nobody's going to ask you if it's blown up or not. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So they turn around and buy it back with the money from the bank, and then they pay to have it fixed. I've seen this mm -hmm. unfold. So there's creative ways you can do this that are perfectly legal, right? Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, buy the right car. Don't just research online. Look at that car like it is a snake trying to bite you. It is trying to kill you, okay? It is that, you know, 17, 18-year-old girl is trying to rip your heart out on that first date, right, later on down the road. That's the way you have to look at it. Yeah. Um, and, and if you look at it that way, you're going to make the better decision because a lot of these people, they found that car they want. Yeah. And because of that, they don't do the PPI because they're afraid it is going to show something. See, well, they, 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 they don't want to know if it has a problem because it's the perfect car. It's the one they've wanted all yeah. their life. And now they found it and they would be yeah. so crushed if it had a problem. Yeah. They're just like, I'm just going to go yeah. with it. And that oh, yeah. never works well, dude. It does not work. It's, I mean, I've even got a category in my submissions ticketing system that says, I just bought a Porsche and I need help. I'm going to change that, dude. I'm changing that to, I just bought a Porsche and it blew up. <laughs> or, I just bought a Porsche and got ripped off because that's what happens. And the people that own these cars that find them with symptoms, they have no morals, dude. No ethics, no morals at all. All they give a damn about is they don't get ripped off. They don't spend the money on the car. They pass it on to you and make it be your problem. Yeah, I'm That's all they care about. I'm wondering, okay, let's just say the extreme case. You know, of course, I I totally agree. The, the ideal is that you should always get a pre-purchase inspection. But what if the circumstances doesn't allow it? What, what tool... Uh, other than knowledge, what tool would you say that they would need to carry with them to inspect the car themselves? For whatever reason, let's just say they're going to get it at an auction, and the auction says, yeah, you can come and, you know, start it, look inside. I mean, two tools, common sense, attention to detail, okay? 
if they go through our bore scoring video series, they see the symptoms of bore scoring. You know, one tailpipe darker than the other, usually on the driver's side. Uh, smoke at startup, a ticking sound, you know, all that sort of thing. That is what you need to pay attention to. When you show up there to buy the car, make sure that, it's, that, that somebody hasn't been ready for you. I never tell somebody that I'm going to show up to buy a car at a certain time. And if I do, I show up early so they can't be prepared, okay? I don't trust anybody under any circumstance. I just don't. I see people get ripped off all the time, and, and I just don't trust them. So basically, make sure the car hasn't been ran that day. As soon as you show up, go put your hand on the engine, see if it feels warm, look at the coolant temperature gauge, you know, and, and, and just come to the game ready to win, you know? It's you against them is the way you've got to look at it. I mean, a lot, especially a lot of these dealers, they know less about the car than if you buy it from a private seller. They buy the car, and they turn around, and they want to sell it as quick as they can for as much as they can. And, and you know, I remember when I was a kid, me and my dad would go buy and sell and trade stuff. And, you know, if you bought a car, that sucker was detailed to the nth degree, man. They had detailers at the dealerships. You know – they don't even clean them anymore. I mean, they might wash it, but, you know, my wife bought a, a Lexus. She sold her G-Wagon, and well, we had an older model G-Wagon, and um, she just got tired of it, and we got this Lexus thing, which I don't even like. It is what it is. It's just a <laughs> generic car. I'd rather drive something 40 years old. But, you know, there was like Cheetos and crap inside the car, and, you know, I mean, the dealer didn't even clean it up. Um, but, you know, a PPI, you can do your own. And a lot of people say, well, the seller, you know, he might get mad about that. The seller's probably going to get pissed off about that because he knows you're going to bust him. He knows if you take a bore scope to those cylinders that you might find what he already knew was there that his shop found. So if that seller is like, nope, you're not going to touch the car, there's no way, then, dude, don't buy that car. Yeah. That Let car is the one that's there, that's, that's there to shoot you down. I mean, if the guy's that adamant about it, go find another freaking car. Yeah. Don't buy that car. Well, I was wondering if it would be um, smart to purchase, you know, especially if you want to, if, if a 911 is the car that you, you want to have, would it be smart to tell people to purchase a, a Durametric and then when they go to see a car, you know, they plug it up so they can look at, you know, the cam yep. camshaft deviation, um, what rough running index. Um, well, I've even another done that one before, that another one that so. I, I I like that you pointed out before is the the ready status. Yes. Because if if it doesn't if it's not in ready status, then you know someone's tried to erase the if it has a. Exactly. O2 sensor going, or maybe a cat. Is, or anything. Is You've had anything. Yeah. yeah. So, so ready status, for those that don't know, there's basically five parameters that have to say pass or fail for an emissions test. Well, I mean, that's one thing to be concerned with if you have to pass emissions, that will it actually do that? But the ready status to a guy like me means that all monitors are reporting healthy conditions. The, the secondary air doesn't have vacuum leaks. The, you know, the, the motor's working, the relay's working, all that stuff's working. You know, the O2 sensors aren't dead or dying. There's no enrichment that's out of range, um, all that sort of thing. There's all these different things that those five 
different monitors are going to report being good. So if you have a durametric and you plug it in and you go to ready status, if all of them come up and they say pass, then at that point in time, that means that that car has been driven a couple 300 miles without having any trouble codes. Any diagnostic trouble codes, DTCs, have been non-existent for that period of time. Now, even if you have a pending code, if there's a code pending there, not even a full code that's turning on a check engine light, if it's just pending, then it's going to report a non-ready status. At the same time, let's say you have like a, a P1128, P1130, those two show up all the time together. That's usually AOS and math sensor, AOS, math sensor, O2 sensors. Some one of those things is reporting bad, okay? Um, 1128, 1130 are very common. Math sensors throw them all the time. So let's say you had that pop up and you don't know what I know and you take it down to the local shop and you have them turn that code off. The check engine light goes off, right? And you think that you are going to be able to sell this car to somebody and they're not going to figure it out. Well, if they don't have a scan tool, if they don't have a durametric, they, you know, are basically at that point in time not going to be able to know that you just turned that off. But let's say you try to sell that car to me, and I show up, and I've got the Durametric with me, okay, or even a $50 scan tool. I can plug it in. I go to ready status, and I see that it's not ready, okay? At that point in time, I have just busted you trying to sell me a car that you just turned the check engine light off on thinking you're going to be slick, okay? And usually, those codes are going to be pending in there again because you didn't fix the problem. Uh, P1128, P1130, they're, they're going to come back again as soon as the DME looks for those things to report back. It's going to come back as a pending code. So you're going to find that code again. Now, the difference is if you didn't go at it with that durametric and then you drive the car home, you do a couple of heart, you know, a couple of start cycles with it, then at that point in time, you're going to have a check engine light come on with you. Well, guess what? It finally reported. That pending code that was there the day you bought the freaking car, you just didn't know it, has now popped up. And you didn't bust the seller. Now you get to go buy a mass airflow sensor, O2 sensor, maybe an AOS, and you find out that you got a vacuum leak somewhere, okay, that the Durametric would have found for you. So that's a good example of ready status. Now, like when we ship cars, if somebody pays me for an exclusive service and they they want us to do the break-in. They get Jake's break-in service. I drive that car until it has ready status. And then that way, when they get it, they know it's good. A lot of times, you know, if we, if we just build an engine, we put 104 miles on it. There's no pending codes. Usually, it'll have readiness, and it goes home. Um, <clears throat> but that's the ready status is a way to make sure somebody didn't just turn off some codes and try to give you a car back or try to sell you something that's got a problem that they knew about. Yeah, I would think that uh, if you're going to buy a car like a 911, <clears throat> I would think that a really good scan tool would be something you purchase ahead of time, like a Durametric or something equivalent to that. Dude, the Durametric's uh, awesome. I'd... I mean, there's people, there's shops that don't even have a PWIZ or AutoLogic or any of the other Porsche scan tools. They all they have is a durametric. And honestly, here at the training facility, unless I'm doing a like an engine management class or something, 
the P wizard and everything stays at flat six. I just use a durametric here. It does everything I need to do. And the durametric will actually do some things that some other scan tools won't do. Um, if I'm trying to tune a car and I want to get the tune pretty close before I start taking it to the dyno and I put the engine in here where I only have an engine dyno, not a chassis dyno, then I will go drive the car and collect data, build a couple of tunes and throw them in, and I'm already halfway there when I get to the dyno. And I can graph the data with the Durametric and I can upload that and I can do all kinds of things with it. The Durametric is an awesome tool. If you're going to buy a Porsche and you know you're going to buy one, just go ahead and buy the tool. Yeah. You know? What about, uh, and I'm just brainstorming here, what would you say would be another good tool? Um, because I, I guess if, I'm trying to think if if you're buying a a 911 from a a owner, you know I, I can't see them saying, oh yeah, sure you could take the spark plugs off, but with something like a me mechanics ears, be a good item to have too, where you can twenty bucks a stethoscope. Mechanic stethoscope will help you hear the noise. The problem is that noise is going to sound just like a bad lifter. In, in the bore scoring video series, we show what a lifter sounds like versus that. You know, you're not going to know about bore scoring unless you do two things. You do a bore scope evaluation through the spark plug hole, and you do a bore scope evaluation through the sump. You don't do just one, okay? Yeah. You do both of them because I see people all the time. I go in from the spark plug hole, and they don't find what they need. Going in through the sump is the way to go because it shows you another part of the picture. And people all the time say, well, man, I, I just can't do it. Well, going in from the sump, you have to use some common sense. You have to get kind of creative. You have to access the, the number six cylinder from over near the number five cylinder. You can do it. I did it on the video. You filmed me doing it, doing it okay? That was live. Um, so yeah. you can do it. It takes a little bit of effort. But you've got to do that. With bore scoring being such a big deal, you have to do it. Thank you so much, Jake. And thank you for watching. This wraps up another episode of Rencast here on YouTube. We hope that you will consider subscribing to our channel as well as follow us on Facebook. We hope that you have a great day.